Our scripture this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to call, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will peace your own, pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning, and Merry Christmas. How many of you have ever read one of my kind of favorite little books? Horton Hatches the Egg. Anybody read that one? Yeah, it's a good story, right? Well, unfortunately, the library was closed when I decided to do this, and we don't happen to have a copy of the book, so we have pictures. But Horton hatches the egg. Horton's an elephant. Elephants don't sit on eggs. But there was a very lazy bird named Maisie. And she had this egg. And she had to sit on this egg. And she was bored. And her legs were cramped. And she was just tired of sitting on this egg. And she wanted a vacation. And Horton came by. And she said, hmm. Hey, Horton. You doing anything? Horton wasn't really doing anything. He was just minding his own business. So even though 
he protested that he was too big to do it, and he really shouldn't be sitting on a bird's egg, but he was too heavy. Um, he agreed to sit on Maisie's egg so she could take a vacation. And so here we have Horton sitting on the egg. He had to prop the tree up because, you know, he, he was pretty big to be sitting on a bird's nest. And he was happy to do it for his friend, Maisie, who needed a vacation. Well, the problem was Maisie was having a great old time having her vacation that she said, hmm, I don't know if I ever want to go back and sit on that egg again. Now, poor Horton sat on the egg through rain and thunder and lightning. I don't like thunder and lightning. Through snow and ice. I don't like snow and ice either. And he sat there day in and day out for 52 weeks, whole year. Well, during that time, all of his friends came by and laughed at him and said, ha ha, look at that elephant sitting in the tree. What the heck does he think he's doing up there? Elephants don't hatch birds. But you know what? When Horton said that he would sit on the egg for Maisie, he said what he said, and he meant what he said. An elephant is faithful, 100%. Now, to be honest, I don't know if elephants are faithful 100%, but I do know someone who is. I bet you all do, too. God. God is faithful 100%. And the proof is in our story today. Remember about Simeon? Simeon was an old man, but God made a promise to him. God promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. Now, Simeon's thinking, oh boy, I'm getting old. When's the, when's the Messiah coming? You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm old. I don't have much longer. Come on, God. You promised. And on the eighth day after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple. The Spirit said, hey, Simeon. Today's the day. Get over there. The Messiah is there. He saw him and he knew right away who he was. Right away. And then I think about Anna, who was in the, the temple day in and day out, also waiting for the Messiah. And she recognized him right away. God is faithful 100%. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And then I was thinking, well, we're kind of moving into a new year. Does anybody make resolutions? Yeah, some of us, we say, oh, I'm going to do this this year. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. We make promises to ourselves. We make promises that we're going to do things for God. And you know what? How many of you keep those promises? Yeah, I usually get to maybe February maybe. <laughs> Sometimes I make it to the third <laughs> of January. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to walk more. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. And you know what? We're not as faithful to God and to ourselves as we should be. So this year, as you're thinking about what promises you're going to make to yourself and you're going to make to God, remember, God is faithful 100%. So let's make our resolution this year to be faithful to God 
100%. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us. When you make a promise, you keep it. And we know that your promise came to us through Jesus. And we know that you promised that he's coming back. And we wait, like Anna and Simeon, for him to return. Help us to be faithful to you as we wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you that what you want of us and what we can give you is the same thing. Our hearts, our lives, ourselves. Help us to hear you um, and to be transformed by you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the end of our service on Christmas Eve, I said, we talk, we've been talking about a great light, and I said, the light shines in the darkness of the world and the, and the darkness of our hearts, and the darkness has not and never will overcome it. And so today we are past actual Christmas Day, and we see the story of Simeon in the temple. We don't really know anything about Simeon except that he was in the temple the day that Jesus went there to be dedicated as an eight-day-old baby. And so Mary and Joseph brought him there. And um, Simeon had been told by the Lord that he would not have to die until he saw the Lord's promised Messiah. Somehow he knew, in this tiny little eight-day-old baby, that he was seeing him. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. How did Jesus accomplish this? How did Jesus become our salvation? How did he become a light for revelation to the Gentiles? How did he become the glory of God's people Israel? And how can we imitate him? I think there's one answer, and that is get human. It is hard to be human, right? Kind of. We're this mixture of spiritual and physical, and our bodies fall apart. My parents have been visiting this week, and we were talking about all of the things on ourselves that don't work right anymore, <laughs> and how that just seems to keep happening more and more often the older we get. Um, our spirits may, I've been saying lately, I actually sort of like aging because I like who I am better. I see who, what God is doing, and I have a better perspective on um, God's work in my own life and in the lives of people around me, and that's kind of exciting. So my spirit is maybe growing and getting better, hopefully, but my body's not really. Um, and so that's hard. And then we have things like pandemics or addictions or just a regular cold or abuse or it's hard to be human. Somehow, Jesus became the light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel by becoming a human. 
Uh, just a reminder, last week I used the word incarnation, and it turned out that wasn't a very familiar word. Does anybody remember what that word means? What's that? Becoming flesh, exactly. So that's what we, that's the word that goes with Christmas. Jesus, God, became flesh. You can remember this if you're into uh, Latino-based foods like carnitas. Carnitas is meat, right? And um, flesh. So incarnation means that somebody or something is taking on flesh. That's what Jesus does. And by God taking on flesh, by God becoming incarnated, he's showing us that all of humanity, the whole of human existence matters. So he came, he got human in such a way that He's showing, don't become so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Jesus actually entered the pain and the mess of our, and the sorrow and the sickness even of our world on purpose. He did not, which we, I think we try to do for most of our lives, we try to shield ourselves from those things. And we use things like money or um our appearance or power or fame or um, sometimes platitudes. We try to keep the unpleasant things in our lives at bay by reframing them with some nice words like, um, I don't know, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not actually the Bible, by the way. Um, <laughs> And, but we use things like that to try to shield ourselves from the hard parts of being human. Sometimes we even use scripture that way. Jesus didn't try to shield himself from the discomfort and the pain and the sorrow of being human. And he is the word of God, but he didn't use scripture that way. He's the word of the living word of God. He didn't use the written word of God as a shield for himself. He used it to drive him out of comfort zones, not into comfort zones. So the, the word is, the word of God is a comfort to us. Um, and actually in our scripture passage, it said that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. So there is comfort in the word, but sometimes that comfort comes through getting uncomfortable first, which is exactly what Jesus did. So he didn't just come and separate, like look like a person, but separate himself from all the hard parts of being human. But he also never disconnected himself from who he really was in the spirit. He never forgot that he was God, the son of God. He never gave up connecting with his father. There are all kinds of places in the New Testament where it talks about Jesus going away by himself so he could talk to his father. And he was always indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was always with him. Somebody named J. Sidlow Baxter said, Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, answers humanity's heart cry in three ways. The unseen becomes seen, the distant becomes near, and the creator becomes the savior. Somehow I think there are things in here that we can, that Jesus did that we can imitate. So let's start with the hardest first. The creator becomes the savior. We're not the creator, right? We're also not the Savior. 
Um, but there is still something in here that we can imitate. In the Bible, creation that God does is described as love bringing order out of chaos. That's basically the underlying, it doesn't say it in those words, but that's the underlying message through scripture of what God's creation means. God's love is bringing order out of chaos. And so in our passage today, it says, Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is kind of like our passage from Isaiah a few weeks ago about the valleys being raised up and the mountains being brought low. We're terraforming again. Many in Israel, Simeon says, will fall and many will rise. This is an image of creation. In Genesis 1, there's, and, and 2, there are these kind of mysterious metaphorical descriptions of there was water covering everything and then God kind of separated the water from the land and separated the sky from the seas. And um, it's this kind of thing it's a similar kind of description of creation. And Simeon says the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Chaos in our own lives, in our own hearts, we all have some of it. Um, and that comes out, the, the chaos in our hearts comes out in our lives. As we grow in our relationship with our creator, those the chaos in our lives starts to be ordered. But the order that comes um, takes a little bit of rearranging. Our priorities get rearranged. Our, our ideas get shifted around and, and become more and more ordered according to the mind of God. And as that happens to us, we actually enable others, as we have contact with them, to have contact with the Creator too. So the potential is there for the same thing to happen to them if they accept it. And then Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. That doesn't sound very happy. This guy is not necessarily a uh, front and center positive thinker, but he wasn't wrong, right? Imagine how Mary felt watching her son be crucified. But a sword piercing our souls is part of what makes us human too. It didn't just happen to Mary. I think probably a lot of us have experienced something that feels soul-piercing. And often it's a really bad thing. The crucifixion was actually a really bad thing. God made something really good come out of it. But the act itself was horrible. And we have those things that happen to us, and they kind of make us wonder who we are and what we're doing and why is God letting this happen? When we willingly accept a relationship with God, it means that at some point our souls are going to be pierced because the chaos of the world is in here already. And when Jesus comes in there, some kind of battle is fought. And it can be painful. But we need it because he's challenging the chaos, the sin, 
the pride, the idolatry that each one of us has, we, we all carry those things in different ways, but we all have it. As Jesus challenges, challenges those things in us, sometimes it feels like our souls are being pierced. But we need it to happen to make us into the new creations that God is planning and has intended us to be. And that is, we need this to be saved. God's act of creation and God's act of recreation, which is salvation, that is who God is. And as we allow God to do that to us, we can bring it to other people. When Jesus is born in our souls by the Holy Spirit and we are new creations, we can cooperate with God to bring order out of chaos too, which is what we were intended to do from the beginning. Biblical creation is love bringing order out of chaos. And so we do this with the love of God in our lives to bring order. The second thing that Zachberg talks about is the distance becomes near. That is really clear in this story from today. Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and praises God. Basically, Simeon's holding God right now. Or like the choir sang, Mary was holding God when she kissed his face. She was kissing the face of God. God came in the flesh. God came near. People could hold him, see him, touch him, hear him. God went native. If you move to another country, sometimes some people try to preserve their heritage of origin and other people just try to leave that all behind and, and uh, become one with, the new, with their new culture. And God didn't leave behind his godness, but he did, Jesus did kind of suppress some elements of his godness. He went native. He went completely human. And we can imitate Jesus in this way by moving toward the hurting, moving toward the broken and the needy, toward the sinful, not so that we can condemn them and not so that we can blend in, but to acknowledge that we are part of the sinful, but we've been saved. And we can, as we approach people, in sin, in need, in pain, Jesus can love them through us. We also move toward community. Church is kind of a weird thing. <laughs> um, it's not a human default. I think there are people, I'm sure you've heard these terms before, there are introverts and there are extroverts. And introverts, I'm one, kind of, um, Introverts get energy by spending time alone, and extroverts get energy by being around people. And the church is not actually a normal default for either thing. You would think it might be better for extroverts, but um, it's a strange kind of community. But it is distinctly designed by God to be a picture of what he wants people to be like and people to do. We join together in a committed community. We're all following Jesus together. We're all trying to become like Jesus together. And together, as an entity, we also become like Jesus. And we can do Jesus' work in the world. Next week on Celebration Sunday, we're actually also going to be welcoming some new members into our community. And this is really excited. We should all be excited about this. Not because we, I mean, it is exciting if we grow number-wise. But the real exciting thing is 
God is adding to our community, which means God has more things, more ways that he wants to love Southbridge and the world around us by the people that he's sending us. God chooses who he wants in his in each body um, to love the community by this little God-chosen community. The third thing that we can imitate from Jesus is the, see- the unseen becomes seen. Simeon is holding God and he's praising God and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Okay, let's think about this for a second. Simeon physically is seeing nothing except a baby. Right? He does not know what salvation is going to look like. I doubt he had any more insider information than any other Jew at this time including probably Mary and Joseph, um, about what salvation of God was going to look like. He knew, though, that God's salvation was there. He knew what salvation was when he saw it, even if he couldn't have explained how it was going to all play out. He knew this this baby represented God's salvation. When God is born in our lives, we might, like him, become, as Simeon says, signs that will be spoken against by many. That happens. You know this when you're a Christian and you're trying to follow Jesus. There are people that don't like that, that will oppose you, that will give you a hard time. But we might be seen by people like Simeon, who have faith, who are looking for God, who are looking for hope who are looking for salvation, and they, when they see us, they will understand that somehow through us, even our broken places, God is communicating salvation. Either way, whether we are a sign that people speak against or we are a sign of God's salvation to people, when we have Jesus in our lives, when we are following Jesus, even though we are not God, they will have seen God's salvation in some way. Sometimes, especially because of our brokenness. We don't have to pretty up our testimony. God is the one who gives us the testimony. God takes our stories, a mess and everything, and gives us something that shows people God saved me. A person like that. A person like this. Christmas is pretty. Pretty in here. We decorate our houses and make them look pretty. Christmas is pretty. But Christmas is also not pretty. It's a baby in a barn. It's blood and mess and tears and animals. And there are things about Christmas that are not pretty. I've been reading a book called Glorious Weakness by a woman, a Christian woman named Alia Joy. And she has this vision of what it looks like for the creator to become the savior, the distant to come near, and the unseen becoming seen, and what that looks like in the lives of Christians. She says, could we be people who confess our great and unending need to one another and be met with Jesus? Could we be a church where doubt and dependence are welcome to be explored together? 
I often think of Jesus' life, he says, and how he chose dependence for himself. He's not a little boy. He's an eight-month-old baby. He chose that. He's totally dependent on Mary and Joseph and the people around him. He goes on, his entire life on earth, Jesus chose to insert himself into humanity and risk being denied, risk being betrayed, risk being misunderstood, risk being lonely, risk risk being judged and ridiculed and eventually killed. Jesus took on flesh and we have this vague concept what that means. But for him to model this dependence, this fleshly weakness, for God to have scars, means the world got close enough to leave its mark. It means he was vulnerable and open and dependent enough to fully invest in people, even when he knew the outcome would cost him. As the body of Christ, are we not one flesh who mourns and rejoices as one? We started this year with a sermon series about worship called In Spirit and in Truth, And we worship best when we are fully human, both spirit and flesh. So let's move into this new year in spirit and in truth, too. Making the unseen seen, bringing the distant near, and cooperating with our creator in whose image we are made by bringing his order to the chaos around us, salvation and life. Simeon, we might say, was lucky. He got to see and hold God's salvation, and then he got to depart in peace. That's pretty nice. But we are blessed because we get to be a part of it. The blessing of God sometimes is weird. (laughs) Jesus There's a whole sermon about this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, those who are mourning. That doesn't seem blessed. But that's where the blessing of God comes from. Like Jesus, we get to discover our full dependence on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get to risk being faced with more than we can handle. So we get to experience the Creator becoming our Savior We get to experience the distant coming near. We get to experience the unseen becoming seen in our own lives and the lives of the people God sends to us to love in Jesus. Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. And Jesus living his life through us makes us lanterns for that light and reflections of that glory. So let's move into the new year like Jesus, getting human. Lord, thank you for this day and for this truth that you became one of us so that we can become one with you. We pray that as we go into 2022 and beyond, that you will help us to imitate you more and more, that people will experience your nearness, that they will see your work, that they will have their lives recreated and saved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.